90s footy fans, welcome to episode 52 of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we chat with former Essendon Premiership player, Ricky Olerenshaw. Ricky, a Keelor product, joined the Bombers during their under-19 years. He progressed through to the senior ranks in 1993 and played a total of 77 games during his tenure at Windy Hill. Rick was a part of the famous Baby Bombers Premiership team in 1993. Following his departure at the end of the 1998 season, he spent time with both Collingwood and North Melbourne. In this chat, Ricky talks about his amazing debut season in 1993 and the Premiership, playing Anzac Day football, the 1996 prelim final heartbreak against the Swans, playing at the Pies and Roos, his injury issues, and boundary riding with Channel 7. I hope you enjoy the 52nd member of the 90s Club Footy Podcast, Ricky Olerenshaw. Ricky Olerenshaw, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast, mate. Great to have you on all the way from Bali. It's awesome. Thanks for having me, Trent. Yeah, I'm a bit of a 90s tragic, mate. I love my um, 90s footy. Obviously, I played in that era, but... When you watch those games, especially during COVID when there was no footy being played, they kept playing those old matches in the 90s. It was just cracking for you to watch, you know. A lot more mistakes made and um, pretty contested footy. So it was, a, it was a really good era of, of footy. And lucky being in Bali, I get to meet a lot of these 90s players. They, they come here on holidays and I, I catch up with a few and I bump into a few. And um, it's always good to reminisce about the, the good old times back then. And, mate, you were saying off air you used to be a Bulldogs fan too, which I was a bit surprised sort of growing up. I guess, did you grow up around that Essendon region as a kid? Yeah, I'm a Western Suburbs boy, mate. I was born in Footscray Hospital and my, all my family were mad Bulldogs. So I was, you know, pretty straight early in my, uh, in my life to, to follow the Bulldogs. I started going there to the Witten Oval in 77 and Dougie Hawkins quickly became my favourite player. So... I was always a really big Bulldogs fan growing up. Um, I wore 35 on my jumper for Terry Wheeler. He was one of my favourite players as well. Um, had a year with number nine, Les Bamblett. And then, um, you know, I kept going back to Dougie. I ended up calling my dog Doug Hawkins. Um, <laughs> so I had, I had a dog called Dougie there in the 90s. And, um, but one of the biggest um, highlights of my, of my career was actually getting to play on Doug Hawkins. And um, it was obviously in the twilight of his career. He would have been mid-30s by then. And, I think he was even playing halfback flank. I couldn't even remember Fitzroy. I can't remember which jumper he was wearing. But um, as a, a kid growing up, to actually play on your uh, boyhood idol was, was a massive highlight for me. And um, now I'm, I'm actually back barracking for the Bulldogs again. You know, after leaving the AFL, I, I've just gradually gone back to being a, a Bulldog supporter. Um, so you find on weekends, I I watch the Bulldogs with passion. But when I watch the Bombers, it's almost like watch. It's like an ex-girlfriend. You've got no real emotion or passion for it, you know. So <laughs> when I watch the Bombers, I don't really sort of worry too much they win or lose. I don't really have that um, that that deep passion for them anymore. But um, we do have our 30-year premiership reunion next year, and there's a bit of a groundswell from the boys to make it in Bali. Um, so we could be doing that at some point next year. What a destination for a reunion. Fantastic. Hey, mate, you're speaking yeah. about being in Bali. 
What what are you doing with yourself, Rick? And and I guess you know what footy involvement do you have at the moment? Well, when I when I first moved to Bali, which was over ten years ago, I, I had no real set plan. I had no ambitions at all to play footy. I I thought my footy days were over. My body was pretty shot, and um, so I came to Bali. I had no real set plan with a blank canvas. And um, over the last ten years, I've married a Balinese girl. I've had two kids, a boy and a girl, and um, got roped into playing for the Bali Geckos. And I was a bit reluctant early, but the, the president heard I'd moved to Bali and hit me up on Facebook. And I went down and I was, wasn't was that keen, but I got the bug again. I got my body fit and firing. And, and now I, I love it. I love playing again. I'm playing coach of the Bali Geckos. And we've got one more game to go. So I've got footy training tonight, actually. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm loving my footy here with the Bali Geckos. And we're, we're bringing the game to a lot of the Indonesians and our, our participation amongst them is growing. We've got a really strong women's team now. So the club's going, is in great nick. Um, Business-wise, I've got the F45 license over here in Bali. So I've got um, an F45 studio in Chenggu and in Seminyak and opening one in Uluwatu. And I've also got one over in Jakarta. Um, and then my wife's got spas. So I, I help her run the, um, run the spa franchises. Oh, fantastic, mate. Have you still got any player management role or anything like that? Because I know you were doing a little bit of that when you were in Australia. Yeah, I was heavily involved with um, with player management, both in footy and cricket. And when I sold my business, I got put on a one-year non-compete. So I, that's why I ended up coming to Bali for a year because I wasn't allowed to work. And um, I didn't look back once I was settled in here and was surfing every morning without wearing a wetsuit. I, I wasn't keen to go back to Australia. But um, I, I helped out a few guys um, for a period of time there, but now I just like to stay mates with them. I, I help them out here and there, but um, in terms of doing work and contractual work and marketing, I, I don't keep involved in that. I, I love. I spent the last few days watching the drafts like a like a player agent would do. So I'm still heavily involved um, in terms of following footy, and you know, I like to see young kids get drafted, and I like to follow their careers. And one great thing about Bali, we've had a lot of these young boys come through Bali on holidays and train with us. And like Cody Waitman's an example, he trained with the Geckos and, and with me before he got drafted. And we've become really great mates. And it's really good to now follow a kid's career from from day one or even before he was drafted. So um, I guess being a non-player agent, I've, I can be friends with them all. I can be friends with, <laughs> with um, current players and, and past players as well. I oh, love it, mate. Hey, let's reminisce about your 90s football. And gee, what a journey it was. How did your journey with Essendon begin? I know you played in the old under-19 competition with the Bombers, but how did it sort of progress for you to get a chance on that senior list? Yeah, well, I mentioned before I was a Bulldog supporter, um, but when I where I grew up in Kula was next door to Scotty West, and that was a Footscray zone. But I moved up the road at 12 years of age, and I moved into the Essendon zone. And um, so back then I didn't need to be drafted. I was zoned, and I went into the under-19 system, and, um, along alongside guys I played junior footy with and against, like Martin Curie and Dave Telford, these sort of guys. And um, we came through the under-90s together. And then I guess you play a bit of decent footy in there and you, you graduate to the reserves. And back then, the reserves in the 90s was really strong footy. I remember, you know, coming up to play in the reserves and playing against some really hardened, AF, you know, AFL players with 200 games experience. It was a really strong standard of footy back then. And you had to play about, four or five unbelievable games to get a, a, a running in the AFL, getting in the real ones. You don't just, you know, play a couple of good matches and get picked. You had to really do your apprenticeship back then. And um, and then I, 93, I made my debut um, uh, early in 93 and 
I guess I was pretty lucky to walk into a pretty strong team and um, we had a lot of really strong experience blokes to be around for a while and, and they were probably hurting a bit from the 90s, uh, 1990 loss to Collingwood. And we just had a batch of really young, enthusiastic, they used to call us a bit of a lair rising group. Um, we all had a bit of flair and um, we just really gelled in 93. So to win that premiership at a young age was, was pretty awesome. And it's going to young Rick Olerenshaw playing his first game for the season and a 50-metre penalty loss. Someone's obviously come across the mark. That's the only thing I can interpret it as. Well, they're blueing down there. Yes. Michael Christian is going absolutely berserk to umpire David Howland, who was officiating today with umpire Brian Sheehan. But it's Oller and Shaw who should be able to level the scores in the first minute. And he kicks a goal. So Collingwood fans not happy with that. That 93 year, just it's really intrigues me. And I look at your, uh, I was looking through, you know, you know, how many games you played and, and when you played and so forth. So I sort of, I summarized it like this. That season you made your debut, I reckon it might have been round five, sort of a couple of games into the season. You played six out of the first 10 games. Then you missed a few weeks. I don't know whether it was due to injury or just going back to the twos and getting a bit of touch. And then from round 16 onwards, you, you remained in that team. So what was sort of the catalyst to keep your spot in that team and that? really important part of the year. Yeah, I, I, I missed most of the blokes I played. Well, I, I said the boot with. They, most of them debuted in 92, but I missed a uh, second half of the year with a groin issue. I didn't play in that 92 reserves flag. And then I played in the 93, like the pre-season night premiership. Um, but then it took me a couple of games to get get my spot to make my debut, which was round three. I was in front of like 87,000 people against Collingwood, so it was yeah. a pretty big moment. Um, and then I actually tore my deflexor tendon in my finger. And when I did that, they, the surgeon thought I missed about 12 weeks. So I thought my season was done. Um, but I, lucky I only missed about five weeks and, and got my spot back pretty quickly. And I guess with a, with a finger tendon injury, you can keep your running um, training up. So I, I came back in pre, pretty reasonable nick. I didn't have to really come back to the reserves. And I was able to keep my spot then right through the final series. Um, so yeah, that was the that was the season that was in '93. Or probably halfway through the season, I didn't even think we'd you know even make finals. We were pretty slow to start that year, um, but then we came home pretty strongly. I think we finished on top. Um, we lost to. It's actually funny. I, I, I caught up with Tony McGuinness the other night here in Bali. And the first thing he brought up was that '93 prelim when they were up by seven goals <laughs> at half time. Um, he actually brought it up, which I was surprised about. But he I was Adelaide at that stage too, wasn't he? He was Adelaide at that stage. Yeah, he was he was playing for the Crows, and to be honest, we thought they were the best team in it that year. And I actually asked him, I said, mate, we, when we planned against Adelaide Crows, we called you guys the four M's. If you stop the four M's, then you beat the Crows. And I asked him as a trivia question, who do you think the four M's were? And obviously, he named himself, and he thought it, he he came up with Modra, and it took him a while to come up with McDermott, but he couldn't come up with the fourth player. Um, and he scratched his head. He goes, I can't think of another player that starts with M that was in that '93. Team, it was actually Maynard. Oh, so when yes. we planned against when we planned against the Crows, it was it was about stopping those four M's. Um, and then I just kept going on about that game the rest of the night. I didn't even want to get out of here. <laughs> and he had Tony Hall with him, who's Tony Hall and um, and Tony against obviously together. I think at Glenelg before they joined the AFL, and then again at the Crows. So Tony Hall kept winding him up, kept bringing up that same game. <laughs> and um, I think he ended up he ended up 
bailing out pretty early after I kept reminding him about that match. But, yes, yeah, I guess one thing about Bali is you get to meet with so many past players, and some of those I've never even met. You know, I might have met once or twice, might have played against them. Um, but to be able to get together with those blokes and reminisce and, and being a Bulldog supporter and listening to Tony McGuinness' stories from the, the, the 80s Bulldogs was pretty awesome as well. I could have listened to that all night too. I'll tell you what, I reckon I might have to set up my podcast over in Bali for a couple of weeks, mate, and get a bit of a uh, get a bit of a list there, and I can run through a few guests when they come up and catch up with you, Ola. Um, yeah, especially final- after especially after a few bin tanks, mate, it gets pretty interesting too. <laughs> Dangerous. Grand final day. What are your memories of '93, mate? You know, what a way to start your AFL career with a, a premiership, and how much belief did this squad have? Like a young squad, how much self belief did they have going into that grand final against a Carlton side that was star studded? Yeah, well, I think we, we we played in front of big crowds all year and, and we'd come from behind a few times um, to win. So we felt like we could we could win from any position and we had a huge amount of belief in our in our squad. We had a really strong game plan. We, we'd been rehearsing that game plan for a long period of time. And um, and I, I think once we got past the Crows, that we, we, we felt we had – we felt we were a better team than Carlton, even though they'd beaten us in that night final a few weeks before. We had a – a few personnel changes by then. Um, so we went into the game with a huge amount of belief. And I just remember before the game, I was I was, I was talking to Bomber Thompson. I said, doesn't feel any – I was in the rooms before the game. I said, the ball doesn't feel any different to any other game. You know, this is grand final. This is what I've dreamt about. This is what I've been trained for in my life. It doesn't feel any different. He said, well, how's it different? The goal posts don't move. The, the footy doesn't change shape. Um, you know, the rules don't – don't get changed for the grand final. So how's it any different, mate? And I thought, well, that's a good way to look at it. It's just approach like any other match. And I remember when you run out there, a lot of the fanfare's already gone. You know, the, the aeroplanes that fly overhead and the balloons and all that, that's already been and gone. So you don't get to see all of that. So I imagine my dad was probably more nervous than me sitting in the grandstand. <laughs> and um, I think for me personally, I got, I got a few early touches. That really settles you down. I guess if you come from a footy background, you you know that if you get a few touches early in the game, it really sells your nerves and you can get into the group of the game. And um, I was lucky enough to, to get a few. And I was playing on Brett Scholl, who I've become good mates with as well because I bumped into him here in Bali a couple of years ago after I hadn't seen him for about 20 years. And he couldn't get near it. And he was really rattled. I could tell he was rattled. And, and I'd had a couple of early ones, so I was able to settle in pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, but the, I remember Kevin Sheedy saying during the week, um, at training saying the grand final will go like this. He just clicked his fingers and said, that's how quickly this this game will go. And it did. It, it, it feels like it was yesterday, but also the game felt like it went like a, just like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, to obviously win it that early in your career is a, is a massive buzz. And every time I see guys now get up on the dice and get their medal, it gives me goosebumps still. Cause it's, you know, I look back as, well, probably one of the highlights of my life other than having my two kids. Um, but, yeah, it gives you a massive buzz to seeing other players now doing it. Uh, amazing stuff, mate. What a year it was by the Baby Bombers. What were the celebrations like, mate? And I guess being a young squad, you would have had a few boys that wouldn't have mind you know, getting on the sauce and, and enjoying the uh, the celebrations. How were the celebrations? And did anyone stand out, I guess, amongst the young crew for celebrating over the next week, month, 12 months? Yeah, well, I'm just glad that Instagram and, you know, <laughs> cameras on mobile phones went around those days because we, we got to a bit of mischief and I reckon a few of us might end up in, on the front page of the Herald Sun a few times. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, it, was a, it was a pretty big week and, and um, yeah, I really, I really 
I really enjoyed that week as well, especially with that premiership medal around the around the city. Um, it's hard to take it off, but um, yeah, I guess it, as you'd imagine, winning a, winning a premiership of any grade, even now with the geckos, when we've won titles over here in AFL Asia, you I don't know when you win a premiership with a group of mates, you, you just it just puts you on an absolute high, yeah. um, no matter what level of football you're playing at, and. Um, and I guess you think it could be you, you've got plenty more to come. You think, oh, I've won one premiership, I've got plenty more to come. But then you realise that they don't come that easily. Um, Troy Luff often comes to Bali to play with the Bali Geckos. And it took him until he was like 49 years of age with the Bali Geckos to finally play in a, in a football premiership. He never played in the premiership in 40 years of playing, playing football. So they don't come that easy. No, they don't. Luffy was a previous guest on this podcast, and he did mention that he came over and played with the Geckos too, which is awesome. So he absolutely loved it. The next few seasons after 93, you played a total of 29 games. Now, injuries hurt you a little bit. Was that the major cause from sort of restricting the amount of games that you played over the next sort of three to four seasons? Yeah, I just had injury issues. Um, 94, 95, um, I did get suspended for four weeks, Super Whack and Scott Camparelli. That hurt. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I just missed a lot of footy in 94, 95, 96. Um, and then 97, 98, I, I pretty much had full seasons. I was able to get my body right and, um, and play most of those games. So I sort of racked up about 80-odd games by the time I was 24 or something. But then I only played five games after that. When I moved to Collingwood, um, my body fell apart. So I only played a handful of games when I moved to Collingwood in 90. Nine, I didn't play a game at all in 2000 when I snapped my hamstring off. Um, and then I made a comeback with the Kangaroos and first game back with them, I snapped the other hamstring off. So I only played a handful of games once I left Essendon. Lovely weighted hand pass. Wanganich rugs the tackle. He was determined. A kick in towards half forward. Heard. He's probably a little bit closer to the centre than at half forward. Now he kicks it in towards full forward. Marking contest. Up goes Alessio. Punched away by that Fitzroy defence. Masidi over the top. Olerenshaw's a chance. Goes for goal. Ricky Olerenshaw. And he's put it through. He's kicked his second. You featured in the first ever Anzac Day clash against Collingwood. You're speaking about that debut where you played in front of 87,000. To play that first ever Anzac Day game and that famous draw... Now, what was it like to feature in a fixture like that and also to play well? Because you did have a little lazy 29 touches in that game in the first one in 95. Yeah, it was a bit unexpected. We, I guess we showed up to the game thing as this going to be an, another home and away game. I don't think we were expecting such a massive crowd, not only inside the stadium, but there was thousands and thousands of people who were stuck outside the stadium. So we weren't really expecting such a massive Massive attendance and such, and I guess making having a draw just made it even more memorable. Um, I think if it wasn't a draw, if it was a ten goal blowout, we probably wouldn't remember that game as such. But I guess that Anzac Day draw in '95 set up all these, you know, all the all the subsequent games. Um, so it was a, it was an awesome game to play. In. You know, Rocket was on fire, and um, I think Shay Coles made his debut when he started on debut, kicked a few goals, and um, it was one of those games that you do remember. And I remember when I was. Um, representing Adam Cooney, and he was leaving the Bulldogs, and he was deciding on which club to go to. And I said to Adam, one thing you can guarantee being an Essendon, I can't guarantee you'll play finals, but you, I'll guarantee you'll play in front of big crowds and you'll play in front of memorable games, um, and you'll play memorable games that you remember for the rest of your life. So that's where I guess I was lucky with Essendon. That we we did play in front of some big crowds and play in front of some, play some big games, memorable games, and um, 
that's you know, I feel feel really privileged. I've got to be able to be a part of some of those matches. Another big game, mate, and I guess this one's probably on the other end of premiership wins. So you've endured the high of a premiership in '93. How much did that Sydney prelim final in '96 hurt the group? Obviously, being so close, and given the result was that after the kick siren by Plugger, that must have been a tough one to swallow, was it? Yeah, and they keep playing that game over and over again too, don't they? Every, yeah. Every time, yeah, you know, during COVID, I must have saw that game twelve times. It's horrible to watch. Um, <laughs> you know, being two goals up with what two minutes to play, you think you're home and host. Um, and looking back on the video, yeah, we made some errors and. Yeah, there's one game you look back and, and have some huge regrets. Um, I copped a massive spray from Sheeds after the game alongside, I think, Justin Blumford and Dustin Fletcher and myself copped it the worst. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those games that slipped away. We did have a, a lot of injuries. and I think Sheeds realised that we we're, were pretty undermanned by towards the end of the game. We, we only, I think we only had 17 fit men and we would probably would have struggled against North the following week anyway. I reckon with the amount of changes we've had to make, we had some key blokes who would have been out. And Kangaroos are obviously a pretty good side under under Duck in that year. But, yeah, you look back on your career and you, you realise you don't get the chance to play in grand finals very often. And and that's one we really let slip. What was it like to play under the great Kevin Sheedy? Um, you know, what was he like behind closed doors? We see him out in front of the media and he's a real showman. But also, too, he's um, now he's a bit sort of zany at times as well. What's, what's he like behind closed doors, Rick? Oh, you sort of summed him up there, mate. Yeah, zany is a good word for it. Um, on match day, he was amazing. You know, he the way he manipulated your mind to always feel like you've got a chance to win and how he motivated us on game day was he always came up with some really you know, new ideas and some of the videos he showed were, you know, from Olympic Games and from World Wars and these sort of things. So he, he always found different ways to get us motivated, but he also would go missing during the week at times too, which always brought a laugh to the boys. Um, but, yeah, he's um, obviously been – a you know, to give me the opportunity to play at Essendon, I'm, 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 you know, happy we've got that opportunity under Sheeds. And um, I always love reading the things he comes out with now. And um, he seems to get even more and more abstract as he gets older as well. <laughs> um, so he's always good for laughing. With our 93 WhatsApp uh, group chat we've got going, Sheeds always features pretty heavily in that when he comes out with his statements. <laughs> so at the end of 98 season, you were traded to, to Collingwood, and from what I've read, you were sort of hoping to go into, sort of hoping to go to North Melbourne. Were you looking for the change personally? Were you just looking, I guess, with injuries and so forth, just looking for a fresh start? Or yeah, it's a combination of factors. Essendon's salary cap was pretty full, so um, there wasn't really the money I was I wanted to move for. It was it was more about more opportunity in the midfield. I felt like in those last couple of years, I was shifted around a fair bit. I wasn't really settled in the one position, especially when you wanted to get more midfield time. You were shifted to a halfback flank, half forward flank. You were tagging some weeks. Um, so it was probably more about opportunity in the midfield. And um, I wanted to get to Kangaroos. That was my preferred choice because I had that one year under Dennis Pagan at, at Essendon Reserves level in 92. So I was really keen to play alongside Dennis. I had a few mates at the Kangaroos as well. So... That's where I want to go to, but trade week doesn't always end up the way you want it. And I don't think Sheeds and Dennis could come to an agreement on a trade. So I ended up at uh, ended up at Collingwood, which wasn't my preferred choice, but I was, you know, I said to my agent, I'm, I'm quite happy to go there. At least you get to play in front of big crowds and big games. And and their list at the time seemed okay, which proved to be because they were pretty successful once Mick took over. And 
but unfortunately, I got there and I just different workload, different training schedule. Um, yes, and medical staff knew my body really well and were able to fix some of the issues I had. But when I got to Collingwood, they probably disregarded that a little bit. They didn't listen to what I was what I would say about some of the injuries I had, and I just broke down. So pretty much, I didn't play hardly any footy in '99, and then. Um, 2000, when Mick came along, um, I snapped my hamstring off. So that ruled out my season pretty much. And then you were traded to North Melbourne. Did you sort of feel if you got your body right that you'd, you'd be able to, you know, string a few games together and really be a, a good ingredient for the North Melbourne crew? Well, I'd actually retired. I got I, I wasn't expecting to be traded. I, I'd actually retired. I was at, down um, at cricket training, actually, <laughs> when I got the call to say you need to come into Kangaroos for a medical. I was going to go and play um, cricket with Footscray um, and then spend the, the following winter in England playing the season of cricket because I had to give up cricket sort of in my late teens, I guess, to play footy. And I, I thought, I want to get back to my cricket. So I was actually at cricket training when I got the call to go into the kangaroos the next day to a medical. And when <laughs> I got in there the next day, I, was, I said to my I, my hamstring's knackered. I can't run. I can't kick. Um, it's a bit of a risk to, to take me on, but they said, let's just, you're too young to retire, only 27, 10, 28. Let's just give it a year and see how you go. And I got, I got myself back playing again and I played a couple of reserve games and, and then I got a call up um, for round five against the Crows over there. And uh, to be honest, I never expected to play footy again, let alone play AFL. And 15 minutes in, I tore the other hamstring off. But oh. um, so that was it. I was done. Cooked. One game oh. with the Kangaroos and I was finished. Uh, at least you got a senior game in, mate, anyway. Like, you didn't get to the club and didn't get to play a game at all. So at least you got one senior game. Well, I was up, yeah, well, that senior game got me in Jason McCartney's book. There's a chapter in his book where he meets his, meets his wife on a night out in Adelaide um, after the game. And I was actually rooming with Jason. So I actually got to meet his, uh, well, He's now a wife on the first night. So I got a little mention in his book. He actually made me – I couldn't get out of bed because my hamstring was so bad. I couldn't get out of bed to make a cup of tea. She made me one for me. <laughs> so post-footy, Rick, we know you did a bit of work for Channel 7 as a band. Right? How did you enjoy that role? Well, that would have been a bit of fun. Well, I was a bit lucky. I, I had a meeting with Channel 7 about some of my clients, and they actually said to me, oh, we've just got the footy rights. We're looking for a – a guy that's got footy background and a medical background. And at the time, I'd, I was, I'd been working as a physiotherapist um, just after, well, during and, and just after my football career. So I had the, both the medical and the footy background and that's how I got the job, basically. I wasn't going in there for a job, but I came out with a job. And there's just no training. I thought you'd get a job on TV and they, they give you a bit of training and get you <laughs> in front of the camera and give you some advice. But not, mate, you're on, you're on this Friday night, um, away you go. And it's, it was... It was. It looks easy when you're watching it, but when you actually the boundary rider in front of a TV camera, they throw to you when you're not ready, and um, you can hardly see what's happening. Is in the worst seat in the house. It's actually. It was a, more, a, a lot more difficult than I was expecting it to be. Um, and you know, I think with live live TV and live footy, when you stuff up, they've got it on, on film for the rest of your life. So, <laughs> I reckon about twice a year on the front bar, they give you a good mention to some of my. Um, <laughs> Some of my crosses. At least you haven't got the so, Brett, yeah. At least you haven't got the Brett Kirk one, mate. That's uh, you know, that's one that probably hasn't sat well for uh, for the pantry riders. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty special that one. But I, I always know when I get put on the front bar because my phone, all of a sudden I get about a hundred text messages. My phone just runs hot, 
And I think to myself, uh-oh, I bet you I've been put on the front bar again. <laughs> so about twice a year, my phone just goes crazy. That hasn't come off the boot too well. No mark taken in the goal square. Ogle and Shaw, snap, and gets the goal. Just what Essendon needed. Oliver and Shaw's first. Hey, mate, I really love the chat. Now, what I do with my guests, I usually give you a couple of quick handball questions. So the first one is I'm going to give you five names, and I want you to share one word to describe each of these individuals. Now, I've got someone from Essendon, one from Collingwood, and also one from North Melbourne as well, but mostly the Bombers. So the first one I'm going to give you is Tim Watson. Hilarious. Dean Wallace. Ah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think one word sums up, Wally. Um, oh, that is. He comes to Bali quite a bit. Um, I have to say, lucky. Mark Mercury. Mercurial. Now I'm going to go to Collingwood. Paul Williams. Uh, a good friend of mine comes to Bali quite a bit to see me. How would I? How would I sum him up in one word? Um, come back to him. Right, come back to him. I'm going to jump to North Melbourne, and I know you had. No, I only. I know you had only had the season with this guy, but Adam Simpson. Laid back. I'm going to come back to Paul Williams now. Probably the opposite. Intense. <laughs> Mate, what's the weirdest pre-match superstition you've witnessed in your time uh, in AFL, whether it's at the Bombers, the Pies, or the or North Melbourne? Is there a superstition that someone, you know, has had that seemed a little bit weird? Cool. I, I remember when I got first got put into the Essendon Reserves um, as a young bloke, and John Barnes was still playing for Essendon then. So we're going back to, like, 91, and he was such a distraction to the team pre-game they would lock him into a room, put the cartoons on from the Saturday morning cartoons on for him, and they grab him as we're running out to play because <laughs> he just he was like one of those naughty school kids who get into a team meeting and just you know he had five minutes of focusing him and he just distract the rest of the team. So he was that was that was his that was his pre-game routine. Oh, that's fantastic! I love it. Best character you've played with, and I mean character in regards to having a bit of banter, beer. That sort of stuff. Yeah, I reckon that the funniest bloke in team meetings um, would have to be either Tim Watson, because he's had such really great with it, um, or Dave Calthorpe. Always, always good for a one-liner in team meetings. And the last one, what was the best thing about playing 90s football? Not getting taken off the ground every five minutes. <laughs> you just, <laughs> once you start on the ground, you just stayed there. Oh, Stuff. How do you go now as a coach of the Geckos, mate? There wouldn't be as many rotations as what you would see in the AFL, or do you sort of rotate through? Well, I have to because some of them have a bench of a thousand. You know, we because we don't play on full size footy ovals, and um, often we play fourteen a side, or some of them even twelve a side. So you've got some of them got more blokes on the bench than they have on the footy field, and and the level of the levels are so different. I've got blokes who are really really good footballers, and got blokes who have crossed codes or are Indonesian learning the game and trying to get these sort of guys on and off the ground is a real art. And I'll tell you what, Troy Laugh will not come off the ground no matter what you say to him. And he <laughs> won't go on the ruck if the ruck is bigger than him. <laughs> on that note, mate, big
big appreciation for jumping on having a chat with us on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Ricky Oliver, I'm sure it's been a pleasure. Right, thanks for having me. Awesome. Number 47, Number 47 Rick Ollerenshaw. That's the end of episode number 52. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. Next week, we catch up with inaugural Adelaide Crows coach, Graham Corns. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.